Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eruk the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. You're listening to The Big Tech Show. I'm Adrian Weckler. Has the merge helped Ether out of a slump, or are cryptocurrencies set to stay in the doldrums for the foreseeable future? Well, this week we're talking about the latest phenomenon to hit the crypto world. And one person who knows all about this is James Nagel, founder of Bitcove, one of Ireland's biggest crypto exchanges. James, for those who may not have been following this closely, what is the merge? The merge uh, actually is being planned for a number of years. So Ethereum would have started off as a proof-of-work uh, consensus mechanism, similar to Bitcoin. So it would have pretty much copied over Bitcoin's kind of internal mechanism for reaching consensus. Can you just explain what proof-of-work means? Proof-of-work relies on uh, physical hardware, um, which we call miners, to validate transactions and to add blocks. Um, so this is called white energy intensive. The hardware itself is expensive. And then they also, you know, to, to solve these uh, computational um, puzzles, they spend a lot of energy. Um, so that is the work. The mining is the work. And it's now transitioning to a proof of stake. Correct. Yeah. So proof of stake, no longer have you, have you miners. So literally 20 or the 15th of September, uh, Ethereum moved from proof of, proof of work, proof of stake. So immediately the miners were dropped off the network. And instead you had uh, validators who held Ethereum. So the value kind of trans- transfer from the miners in terms of their, the energy outputted. Yeah. Now it's the actual money held in the form of Ethereum um, is the cost of validating transactions. Okay, let's so, just back up a second. So when you talk about validators, and let's, let's try and explain proof of stake in basic terms. Yeah, basically proof of stake is just a collateral um, the validators will use. Um, so what is a validator? A validator is a person that's an entity is in charge of um, adding new blocks to the blockchain. Okay. Um, so it incentivizes them to be honest. So previously, with you know proof of work, you the energy expended by the miners, the huge costs involved with that. If they did, you know, they added incorrect blocks or um, tried to, you know, somewhat tamper with the system, they would get they would be penalized in terms of the energy usage they use would be lost. Um, now improve a stake your collateral is your ethereum that you stake so it takes 32 ethereum to create one validator and if you start adding transactions that are invalid or that don't sync up with the network then that 32 ethereum is is a liability it can be you know penalized it's called slashing um so you can lose your 32 ethereum so the, you were talking somewhere in the range of about fifty thousand dollars 
roughly 50,000 euro to be a validator. Yeah, exactly. There is shared validation pools where you can join. So you don't actually have to have the 32. You know, it's quite a substantial amount of money. So some people might have, you know, one, two, or even less than one Ethereum. They can participate in these kind of community pools. So there's centralized ones that exchanges have created. And there's also decentralized ones like Rocket Pool and Lido that you can tap into as well. And mainly was the point of this to cut down on the energy used? That was, yeah. So right now, that is the main outcome of it. Um, You have Mm. 99% reduction in energy costs. Um, And so like, I think the big issue, you know, especially the last year or two, when we've seen the kind of the rise of NFTs and, and DeFi applications, a lot of people were like unattracted to it because of the energy costs. So if you wanted to mint right. an NFT, there's a huge cost involved and an environmental impact. So this kind of now is kind of, you know, changing the image of Ethereum and it's attracting more people into the ecosystem. Um, okay. And, and just to, again, step back for those who aren't familiar with crypto, Ethereum would be the second biggest after Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Second biggest after Bitcoin of market capitalization. Hmm. Has this worked? Is it generally considered to be a success? Yeah, massively so. Like, it's, it, if you think about it, it's like with software update. It's a software update essentially. With software update, it's usually the luxury of you know shutting down the application or the, the device mm-hmm. and restarting it. With Ethereum or these blockchains, you don't have that luxury. You need to have a, it has to be a live update. Um, so you could think of I, I think uh, it as of a car driving down a road, and you need a, a petrol car driving the road. And you need to switch the petrol engine to electric engine while the car is running. So it's a huge undertaking in that regard. You know, there's billions well, that's impossible, of- right? That's not just a huge undertaking. You can't do it. Yeah, yeah. That's almost what, what they pulled off in that regard. It was a huge hmm. undertaking in that regard to switch from one proof of, uh, one proof of stake, me- one mechanism to another, one consensus mechanism to another. And they did pull it off. So that's quite amazing. Um, like it's been in, like Vitalik would have mentioned it back in 2015 when Ethereum was first created. He did envision it moving um, to proof of stake, but it literally took this long for it to come to future. You're talking about the founder. Yeah. So he would have envisioned this to happen, but literally took, you know, seven years for it to come to fruition because of the difficulty involved. Now you compared it to a software update. In my experience dealing with software updates, about one in three or one in four of them usually come with serious glitches. Have there been any glitches so far? No glitches so far, no. So the, the merge actually was the, was, was the combination of two chains. There was the Beacon chain, which started in December 2020, and is obviously the proof-of-work chain that's been running since Genesis. Um, so they had you know year, year and a half of testing, and they had run different simulations, and they had, you know, they had found some bugs along the way. But once it went live, they were, you know, they were fully vetted, fully tested, so all went through success. Not, okay. to, not to say something could pop up in the... In the meantime, that they'll have to, you know, adapt their, you know, um, mm. patch. But why is the price of Ethereum then? Is it still falling, or it, it hasn't really recovered? Yeah, I think that's a. It's a very, very interesting question because the actual issuance of Ethereum into circulation has hugely decreased as well. Um, you know, previously you had, you know, the miners would have got rewarded um, Ethereum for validating the transactions. Now you have a, a lot lower issuance due to the collateral they're putting up. There's no additional electricity being spent. There's no physical hardware being spent. So they get around 4.5%. So you're talking, I think it's like 15,000 Ethereum were added per day um, when we're a proof of work. Uh, proof of stake, we're at 1, 000, like 1,500 Ethereum were added per day. So it's a great reduction in that oh, regard. Yeah. Huge. Huge reduction. So like, just to jump back to Bitcoin for one second, Bitcoin has a Bitcoin halving every four years where 
um, the rate of Bitcoin added to circulation halves. So this was like we call the tripling or the tripling. So it's like one third of the or less mm. of the the Ethereum is added to circulation. So in that regard, there should be a lot less sell pressure. You know, there's a lot like miners had to sell Ethereum to cover logistic costs, cover upgrades and hardware. Um, whereas now um, you won't see that kind of sell pressure. Uh, the price did rise dramatically. It kind of did buck the trend in the overall market, kind of um, overall crypto market and even traditional markets. Uh, the last couple of weeks or months were kind of in a negative spiral, whereas Ethereum mm. almost doubled in the lead up to uh, the merge. So there's a lot of excitement. There was a lot of articles published. And I think that the Ethereum miners also knew this was the last kind of a last hurrah. So they were full tilt mining up until the very end. They started offloading their Ethereum then at the very top. Um, and then you've seen kind of the price slide back down. So this is kind of a common theme in crypto. You know, you kind of buy the rumor, you sell the actual event. Um, but I think the, mm. the lower issuance, we won't see the positive effects for that for a number of months. Um, number of months. Yeah. It, overall, would you say that the appetite for owning cryptocurrency in general is dampened down in Ireland at the moment, or is it the same? Yeah, the, the, it's definitely declined. Like you look at volume across our platform or volume across international platforms, it's definitely reduced a massive amount. It just comes in market cycles. You know, when, when the price is high, there's more articles in the papers, there's more people speaking about on the streets, there's more excitement. Um, when the price is low, you don't see that as much. So even, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are kind of staying static at the moment. So there's no real kind of, you know, huge swings or huge volatility kind of things to kind of capture. So the enthusiasm is definitely low. But I think this is a time where people start building up projects and um, kind of it weeds out a lot of the kind of, you know, projects that don't have any real fundamentals behind it. During a bull market, mm -hmm. a lot of projects get spun out. They got good marketing. But fundamental wise, they might be very poor. Whereas now, you know, it's really down to building proper products that will work. And um, when the market changes, then you'll see these projects, you know, grow and get a bigger market share and get more users onto the ecosystem. Yeah, I interviewed the security chief of Coinbase uh, three weeks ago. And Coinbase, as you may know, has uh, let a number of people go in Dublin and globally because they're facing the same pressures that a lot of big tech uh, companies and indeed crypto firms are facing. But you will have seen the same data that I have I've seen from different surveys showing that Ireland has reportedly a relatively high cryptocurrency owning uh, population. Um, are you surprised that so many Irish people casually own cryptocurrency? Um, not surprised, though. No. I think you know, a very tech-focused uh, country. A lot of the head, you know, big tech firms are here, so it's. Um, is it more that, or is it more like the, the, like we like to bet? Yeah, I guess there is a big sense of speculation. Like crypto, definitely is you know a highly speculative asset. Um, especially you know, Bitcoin kind of goes through you know store of value kind of alternative monetary system. But when you go out, outside Ethereum, so outside Bitcoin, sorry, down to Ethereum, these things are you know very much in kind of an experimental phase. You know, as we're saying, these software updates are huge; they're done in real time. So you could you could you know a kind that speculation, the gambling in essence. You mean because I've spoken to a few true believers uh, in my time reporting on this over the last six, seven, eight years, and they will they're hodlers; they will stay with. Uh, their crypto no matter what but most of the people that i know or that i'm aware of are just buying 50 euro here 50 euro there through revolut they hear a rumor of a guy down the pub says that the 
the price of something is going through the roof, they try and get on it hoping to make 100 quid. And I often get the impression that that is more reflective of a very large portion of the crypto trading market in Ireland. Yeah, I think it's it, it varies a lot. I think a lot of people, like if, if, you know, if you had a large cash balance and you were worried about inflation or you wanted to kind of hedge your bets or you wanted to kind of diversify um, the options really, you know, gold has been pretty static over the last couple of years. Um, Bitcoin has been a real attractive kind of alternative in that regard. So you've seen a lot of people, you know, like even companies come to us that might have a, a large cash balance and they want to diversify somewhat into crypto um, just as a hedge against, you know, the euro. And you can see it's kind of falling mm. into the dollar currently and the pound also. So it definitely has a it definitely has a route there. There definitely is smaller people then that like to, you know, smaller purchases that, you know, yeah. dollar cost averaging, um, which is, a, you know, kind of a recommended strategy in terms of um you know instead of buying all at once you kind of buy mm. over the year and you get a an average price then um okay my lastly james do you still operate crypto atms yeah we still operate crypto atms with 18 atms over ireland 18 crypto atms and just explain briefly again how they work yeah so to use our atms you need to register on our website first because you can create an account probably in five minutes once your account's created, then you can go to the ATM, type in your phone number, you get, you get a four-digit code, our machine will recognize that you've been registered on our website. And then you just need a, um, a wallet and a QR code to scan from your wallet at the machine. You scan the QR code, insert the cash, and you know within an hour, you have the Bitcoin in your wallet. So it's a very convenient way for people to purchase Bitcoin. You know, If you want to buy it via bank transfer, you can wait a couple of days for a separate payment to clear. Whereas at the ATMs, you can buy it, you know, locally within within the hour. So it's uh, attractive for a lot of people in Ireland. And the right, the mechanisms that you're mentioning there suggest that over the last year, two, three years, there is a lot more regulatory oversight and proprietary. There doesn't. It's not quite the feeling of the wild west in terms of buying and selling it that it was maybe four or five years ago. Yeah, that's hundred percent changed. Um, with the AML D five legislation from the EU came into play. And that then each state was um, was to adopt it into their own law. So in Ireland here, we have the virtual asset service uh, provider um, authorization. So that's what we're currently undergoing. Um, so if you want to be able to sell or trade crypto to customers, you'll need that authorization from central bank. And that brings on, you know, you need the proper KYC, transaction monitoring. Let's know your customer. And AML, by the way, is anti-money laundering uh, legislation. Yeah, so so we've tightened up. It, it, the, the, the system is starting to treat it a little bit more seriously now. Yeah, so I think people look at it like a lot of regulators will look like, why can you send a what If you want to send a bank transfer, it goes through so many checks and, you know, you, you can't send it from here to... Uh, you know, it's a sanctioned country, whereas, you know, cryptocurrencies allow that kind of, um, allow that more anonymity, like anonymous kind of transactions happen. So in order to curtail that, you need onboarding KYC, know your customer on both ends. So it kind of, you can see a greater kind of overview. And there's like a thing coming through now called the travel rule. So uh, when you send a bank transfer, the, you know, both banks can see who the sender and receiver is. They, they have that knowledge and they can verify that where it's going, whereas in crypto you don't have that you, as a sender of the crypto you don't know exactly where the bitcoin is going you can't determine if it belongs to x person or which country it's going so mm. what's happening now is you have the kind of traditional kind of regulators are looking at how can we apply the same rules we do in bank transfers 
to crypto. So that'll be interesting because there's a lot of complexities with crypto and the decentralized nature of it makes it very hard to do that. But there is, you know, there's been steps to put that into play. So I think in the next couple of years, you will see that. I think there's a, a new uh, uh, law just finalized I think today. It's called Mika. And that will um, kind of capture that essence of the transactions. That's Mika as opposed to Micah. James Nagel, co-founder of Bitcove in Cork. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you also to Tabitha Monaghan and Gavin Hennessy, who produced and organized sound. And for me, Adrian Weckler, the technology editor of the Irish and Sunny Independent, you've been listening to the award-winning Big Tech Show. And we'll talk to you at the same time next week. Bye-bye. 